Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Michigan International Speedway, the twice-a-year Yankee home for the Rebels from NASCAR. It's a two-mile oval with the turns banked 18 degrees. But compared to the high-banked super speedways of the South, it's a flat track. And these boys from below the Mason-Dixon line run tracks of all sizes, surfaces, and speeds. In short, they love to race and run for a jam-packed crowd wherever they go. The NASCAR season opener at MIS is appropriately called the Motor State 400. With all drivers aboard, they followed the pace car out of pit row and onto the track. Bobby Isaac was the fastest qualifier in the Dodge Charger 71 and starts on the pole. Richard Petty had the second fastest time and starts on the outside in the familiar 43. In the second row, it's David Pearson in the 21 Mercury with Bobby Allison in the Chevy number 12 alongside. Joe Frazan and Donnie Allison share the third row. Pole sitter Bobby Isaac explodes into the lead as all cars enter turn one. Petty is second, Pearson third. In the third turn, Petty goes high and Pearson slips under him and Allison starts to charge. At the end of the first lap, Bobby Isaac has the lead with Pearson and Allison fighting for second. David Pearson puts wings under that Mercury and flies past Isaac on the back chute to take over the number one spot. Now it's Pearson, Isaac, Allison, and Petty. This race is only three laps old and already the crowd is up and screaming. Bobby Isaac has made several pit stops for suspension adjustments. Finally, Harry Hyde and the crew give up and park the Dodge behind the wall. Pete Hamilton in the Plymouth number nine is running in front of Pearson. However, he's one lap down. This was caused by an unscheduled pit stop early in the race for a slashed tire. It was a bad break for Pete because he certainly proved he can run with the leaders. He finally pits on the 158th lap with engine failure and goes out of the race. As they close down on the checkered flag, Pearson is number one, Allison second, Petty third with Jimmy Hilton fourth. There's the white flag, one more lap and Davey gets the brass ring. Here he is down the front chute for the checkered flag and David Pearson wins the Motor State 400. Bobby Allison claims the second place money. Richard Petty, the pre-race favorite, finishes third. Hilton fourth, and Ron Keselowski grabs the fifth spot. 
Hello, this is the annoying Jay Leno, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your uh, computer, and uh, which I'm kind of messing with myself right now, and Google uh, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and uh, wait a minute. I got that all wrong. Run your computer Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, which is GulfstreamMotorsports.com, and if you've missed any of our past shows, check out our archive page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, where you can see all 544 past shows and tonight's 445th show. I got that down. Now, uh, Tommy, how am I doing? Good evening there, buddy. I think you're close to the right number there. I'm close, yeah. Well, you're sitting there behind that. You faked it pretty good. Yeah, yeah, okay. You're, how's that? you're loud and clear behind that COVID-21 uh thought it was glass. in the 450s. Four fi- is it? Well, wait a minute. Is it four or 500? I don't know. It's either 454, 4, or 5. It's it's a whole bunch of shows. How about that? <laughs> Ten years worth. Anyway, hey, don't forget, uh, you want to find out where all the car shows are, go to flacarshows.com. And don't forget, next weekend is the Vintage Florida Truck Show up in, uh, let's see, Tavares, Florida, I think, someplace up there near Wildwood. Anyway, but go to Vintage Truck Shows or Vintage Truck Club of Florida and you can find out all about it. Okay, now, we got a busy show for you now. we got a number of people coming on the show this evening. We're going to do a uh, part three with our good friends uh, Don Eichstadt and Mose Nolan from uh, Ford and CarCraft. And right now, I'm going to introduce you a gentleman by the name of Dave Sherman. Dave is the interim CEO for Pontiac Motorsports Exposition. David, or Dave, welcome to the show. How you doing, everybody? Doing great tonight. How are you? Hanging in there, hanging in there. Okay, so uh, why don't you give us a lowdown on what's uh, the big deal that's going to take place this uh, summer in uh, Michigan, Detroit, yep. Motor City. So um, we have two um, pretty incredible shows, actually, that will be launching this summer. The first one I wanted to share with you guys, uh, since you're um, a gearhead like myself and you got Octane running through your veins, is September 30th through October 3rd. We are launching what is called the American Speed Festival at M1 Concourse. And this is a, it's a new event that North America has never seen. Uh, so if you take like some of the best things that you would ever experience at like Amelia Island or Pebble Beach and, you know, great displays, incredible cars, you know, a spectacular way to, to view and see and get up close to, you know, automobiles and race cars and, and also the, owners you know that have poured their heart and soul into them and then you look at what goes on at like for example uh, uh laguna seca for the historic races or the 24 hours of daytona and those historics that go on and that kind of level of competition and then you add in elements like uh the aspen food and wine festival we have poured all of the best of the best elements that you could possibly imagine at those events into one weekend that we're calling the American Speed Festival, or ASF. So our festival, it really is um, showcased and happening at a very unique venue here in Pontiac, Michigan. I'm actually on the phone tonight with you from one of the private garages. This is actually the largest private garage community in the country. 
maybe even in the world. Um, it is a one and a half mile private driving uh, circuit that we call the um, uh, uh, um, you know Champion Motor Speedway here at M1, and the concourse is made up of over 225 private garages and these owners, and they have their own private driving circuit. So for a lot of road racers out there and historic racers, they've probably never even been to the venue. And for this weekend, we're opening up you know, the doors and the track for people to come out and see the best of the best um, from the past, uh, the present, and the future into this one event. That's pretty amazing. You know what? And, and I like the name, okay? And I got to tell you this, you know, being a car guy and having been to Detroit many, many times, um, I think it's a long time coming that Detroit, the Motor City, you know, where really it almost all began, at least from an industrial standpoint, you know, I mean, a collective industrial oh, standpoint. Sure. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just, uh, it's long overdue. And I'm glad that some people have gotten together to do it. And uh, truthfully, personally, I look forward to attending it this year. So now, this is not, this is following Dr- Woodward Dream Cruise, because Dream, Woodward Dream Cruise is usually late August, correct? Um, that's correct. And we, we actually have an event that's going to go on during Dream Cruise as well that we're calling our Dream Show. And if you've ever been to Dream Cruise before, you know there's you know anywhere between 700,000 and a million people out there, hundreds of thousands of cars on Woodward Avenue. And if you sit along Woodward, you know you see one great car, and then three minivans, two SUVs, and a couple of other beaters. And then you'll see another great car. And then you're also looking for a place to sit. You're looking for food and beverage, maybe even a clean bathroom. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a difficult thing, right? Especially if you're with your family. Right. So our, our Dream Cruise event that we have, we're calling it the Woodward Dream Show. And that's August 19, 20, and 21. And that will have three days of activities as well um, here at M1. So if you're you know looking for... Uh, a celebration of hot rods and muscle cars and cruisers. We've got our Woodward Dream Show. And if you're a uh, a road racer and an enthusiast and you like the ultimate in performance, we've got our American Speed Festival. All right, now the American Speed Festival, and if I recall also earlier in the month, either the end of July or the beginning of August, you have the St. John's Concourse, which formerly was Meadowbrook. Meadowbrook, yep. Um So your event the american speed festival is it going to have uh, a concourse is it going to be is, is it if i understand you correctly it's a combination of everything it is so we have it's an it's actually an incredible four days so wednesday september 29th the motorsports hall of fame george levy and the guys out of uh daytona um they're going to be up here doing their 2021 induction ceremony then thursday we have this dine-and-drive tour where 80 people that register for this and 40 of the greatest cars that you could think of are going to go over to Ken Lingenfelter's shop for a private tour and then over to the Henry Ford um, and the Automotive Hall of Fame for lunch and a backstage tour where they're going to actually get to view some of the historic things in their collection that nobody has ever seen unless you're on the the team at the Henry Ford, part of the curators. And those will be private um, uh, guided tours through the motorsports collection and this behind-the-scenes tour. And then that night, 
we're actually um, opening up a 30,000-square-foot event center here on property. And our big, giant um, uh, convention space actually has garage doors that roll up. It's, it's just an amazing thing, and it's track size. You open up the doors, you could drive a car out, out of the ballroom and directly onto our racetrack. It's, it's just amazing. But that evening, we're having what's called the Motor Grill, and that'll be kind of a kickoff celebration. Friday, we have an event that we call the Speed Ring, and that's where we're going to have 60 to 70 of the best cars you could possibly think of on the road course. We have 10 different classes, and our featured class this year is the Can-Am Series. And we'll have Jim Hall here that we're bringing up from Texas. And not only is Jim going to be here, but we'll also have two of his Can-Am race cars um, on display. So if you're a diehard enthusiast like I am, this weekend is it's going to be pretty amazing to see Can-Am cars, NASCAR, Formula One, Formula 5000, IMSA GTP, GTO cars. They'll all be on the track that weekend on the speed ring. And here's where it gets really cool. We just invested over a quarter of a million dollars in safety and improvements to the uh, circuit. And we now have the ability to run our track in both directions. So Friday, we run clockwise on the speed ring. And then Saturday, we're going to run counterclockwise uh, on our speed ring. And then you get to uh, Sunday, and that will be more of a uh, curated, invited uh, car show with everything on display. Uh, it plus an additional probably 150 or 200 other invited sports uh, and performance cars. And you know, if somebody decides to join us that weekend, the the ticket price is all inclusive. It's not like we have VIP tickets and paddocks and pit passes. If you're on site with us, you're our guest, and you get to go anywhere. All your food and beverages included, wine, spirits. It's it's really a celebration of everything motorsports and performance. Well, you got a little uh, you got a little quail thrown in there too. It sounds like absolutely okay. Yeah, the quail uh, the quail event out there in Monterey. All right, let me ask you this: What is yeah. the capacity? I mean, in other words, is there is there a, a limitation on on tickets being sold? Is it um, unlimited? I mean, what is it like? You know, three four thousand people. What 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 uh, what's the anticipation there? Uh, my capacities. About 10,000 our first year. Uh, We feel very comfortably that we can get 10,000 people on site and give them an incredible experience each day. Uh, And our website just went live. It's americanspeedfestival.com. And, you know, tickets are now for sale. We offer, you know, multi-day discounts. Uh, All your parkings included. Your shuttles are included. The, The only thing you as a guest would ever have to do to, to reach into your wallet when you're with us is if you want to buy a, a hat or merchandise. Like, once you're on site, you're our guest, and we're going to treat you like, you know, somebody in our own home. Okay, so uh, what's the ticket uh, ticket price, basically? Uh, ticket price uh, for, you know, the, the festival pass starts off at $250 okay. um, for everything all in each day, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a bargain compared to, you know, some of the other shows and events that are out there. And then if you decide to buy the three-day pass, uh, we give you a discount, um, and then we give discounts too for people that are under twenty-one. We give another discount if it's uh, a kid under twelve. 
Uh, you know, we're trying to be, you know, reasonable and respectful in, in, in our ticket prices. Well, what's really important for people to understand, and those people have never been out to, by, by comparison, let's just say if you go to the Monterey uh, um, uh, jet show, jet party, okay, you're probably three, four, five hundred dollars for a ticket there. It's all inclusive. Mm-hmm. And if you go to Quail, it's six, you know, five, six, seven hundred dollars there. I, I all think inclusive. it's even more than that now. Yeah, uh, they've probably gone up. Yeah, but I'm just, but what people don't realize is it's 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 entire. It includes everything. So it's a pretty amazing event. But in your particular case, since you got racing and cars and 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 celebrities. Um, I yeah. think that's a. I think it's a bargain compared to some of the events that I've been. So that's. Uh, I mean, look, if you go to if you go to Pebble Beach, you're what three hundred fifty four hundred dollars a ticket just to get in there, and you still have to buy food and pay for parking, that's right. or find a place right. to park. And, I should say exactly. And in fact, the other thing that we're doing to to help guests that want to fly into this, you know, it's it's a celebration of all things motorsports here at our venue. Is we're actually negotiating some preferred rates with hotels within a ten mile radius. Uh, and, and they're working with us to create shuttles and drop off, so people could fly in essentially, you know, Uber up from you know Detroit Metro Airport to a hotel, and, and be with us three four days and have an incredible experience. Well, Dave, this sounds like a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to this. But listen, there's more to the story on your side. So here's what I want to do. I want to. We're going to have. I'm. I'm. I'm looking forward to having you back on the show, and we'll take a, a whole show, and we'll just talk about uh, a number of events that you're involved with, some of the other stuff that's going on, and a little bit about your background as well. How about that? That would be awesome, and I can try to set up some, you know, maybe some celebrities and guests to join us on that show. I know, um, you know, George Levy's trying to work with us with the Motorsports Hall of Fame, you know, and some of his uh, induction, you know, uh, people for 2021 and those racers. Sure. We've got a, an incredible, um, talented group of people uh, on our staff, including a gentleman that was with the Meadowbrook Concourse for over 20 years. And uh, we'd love to do a show with you guys, share some of the photos from Jim Hall, uh, you know, some of the video footage, you know, some of the other drivers and racers that'll be a part of the show. You know, maybe I can get uh, even some of the garage owners to, you know, share some of their experiences that they're looking forward to. Sounds good. All right. So it's the American Speed Festival and the Pontiac Motorsports Exposition, right? You got it. And it's AmericanSpeedFestival.com. All right. Thank you very much. Hey, Dave, take care. And uh, look forward to having you back on the show in, uh, in a couple of weeks. Sounds great. Thanks again for having us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Tommy, sure. how are we doing there? You got our guests on the line? Nope. All right. Well, you need to ring up the phone here. In the meantime, I think what you can do is just uh, let's go run a commercial or something like that real quick. And uh, I know I caught you off guard. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, that uh, vintage truck show is coming up here pretty soon. So that should be a lot of fun. And, uh, oh, well, yeah, we got... Uh, uh, hey, I remember this song. It's Commander Cody and uh, Hot Rod Lincoln. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgia Getting Cars. Uh, don't touch the dial. We'll be right back. It's got a Lincoln motor and it's really souped up. That Model A body makes it look like a pup. has got eight cylinders and uses them all. It's got overdrive. Just won't stall. With a four-barrel carb and a dual exhaust. With four eleven gears, you can really get lost. Got safety tubes, but I ain't scared. The brakes are good. The tire's fair. Pulled out of San Pedro late one night The moon and the stars was shining bright We was driving up great fine hill Passing cars like they was standing still (laughs) 
All of a sudden, in a wink of an eye, a Cadillac sedan passed us by. I said, boys, it's a mark for me. By then, the taillight was all you could see. Now the fellas ripped me for being behind, so I thought I'd make the Lincoln unwind. Took my foot off the gas, and man alive, I shoved it on down into overdrive. <laughs> Wound it up to 110, my speedometer said that I hit top end. My foot was blue like lead to the floor. That's all there is, and there ain't no more. Now the boys all thought I lost my sense. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Come enjoy the best brews in Tampa Bay at Dunedin Brewery. Known as Florida's oldest microbrewery, they are always working to create a unique variety of craft beers for every taste. In addition, Dunedin Brewery features a full menu, including everything from their famous wings, burgers, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget about their live music, including the Wednesday Night Players Jam. That's Dunedin Brewery, 937 Douglas Avenue in downtown Dunedin. Visit them online at DunedinBrewery.com. Back to tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. It's time to introduce our uh, our old buddies here. I got uh, Dave, or excuse me, Don Eichstadt with us from Carcraft, right. and I have Mose Nolan on from Ford Motor Company. Don, we didn't get a chance to get into the uh, Talladega, but before we get into Talladega, I got to ask you this: What's were you there? What was the story on the on the Mustang Boss Four Twenty Nine Quarter Horse? Uh, that's a good story. Uh, <laughs> That's a good it was stuff. a proposal. Uh, they were just looking down the road for uh, something to replace the Shelby's, basically. Yeah. And they put it together out at Brighton using the Bosch vehicle, and then they put the the uh, Shelby front end on it and smoothed it off. You know, filled in the uh, the air the scoops in the in the hood and so on, and painted it all one color and that kind of stuff. It was just a couple of proposals. One was an automatic, and one was a, a manual. And that was about the story of it. it. Never, they never went any further. In fact, as you know, they're both in private ownership now, I believe, somewhere. Well, now here's an interesting thing. In the 1970s, there was a TV show called Dan August, and this little-known actor by the name of Burt Reynolds. And in the and then there's a scene or two in that movie, in that TV show, where one of the quarter horses was featured, and that was. That's what I've heard, yes, yeah. Okay, yeah. so, and I believe there was a blue one and an orange one, right? Red. Red, okay, red. All right, then there was the rear engine Boss 429, or both two engines, and what was the story on that? Well, that was what's called the LID, the Low Investment Drive Line. That was just another study done to try and come up with a mid-engine sports car without building a whole new car. It had a... Uh, a 429 engine and a, a C6 transmission, and then it was put together onto a subframe in, in the rear of the car, and it was a drivable concept car. That's It was just an experiment to see how it would go and whatever. That's as far as it went, basically. But that's the kind of things that CarCraft did now and then, was just say, what, what would happen this or what would happen that, or let's try this. And in fact, that's how they made the first Mark II, GT40, they just said, well, let's put a 427 engine 
you know, Mark One, you know, G, uh, regular GT40, and see how it goes. There was no intent to race those cars, but it turned out so well <laughs> that they raced them. You know, and they ended up winning. So That's just the kind of thing Carcraft did. So that experimental Mustang with the engine in the back there. So whatever happened to that car? Was that destroyed, or was that is that in private hands? As far as I know, it was destroyed. Although rumor around this part of town, Michigan says that somebody had some of the the powertrain pieces. They contacted one of our guys many many years ago with some pieces, and they wanted to know how am I going to put it together. And the guy says, "You can't put it together because you know the only pieces you have are what you got." So you know that's that's as far as and this is all just third hand. You know, I don't know privy to the exact <laughs> story. But, uh, okay, yeah. all right. So then, all right, let's, let's talk about the Talladega. How the Talladega come into fruition? Well, can I back up a second sure. on CarCraft? I'd like yes. to clarify something about CarCraft. Uh, when we were organized this way, it was under special vehicles uh, activity, and it had five departments in, car, in special vehicles. You had the uh, NASCAR drag department. You had GT and sports car department. We had the engine department where Mose was, and then we had vehicle develop vehicle development where Carcraft was, and a fifth department called uh, Parts. And uh, so that's the way it was organized. And so Carcraft is operating on a daily basis as if they were just part of Ford Motor Company. In fact, we had access to the Ford computers, the test track, the proving grounds, the drawing files, and day in and day out, we were just around. Uh, just as if we were Ford Ford Motor Company employees, you know, just in and out of the doing our job. Just and in fact, our supervisor was a Ford uh, Ford man, management. And I just wanted to clarify that it, it, Carcraft was not a divorced third party. That they, you know, some of the articles say, well, they called up Carcraft and asked them to do this, that, the other thing. Well, Carcraft was involved. Right in the beginning, from everything, if you know, what I mean, particularly things like the Boss Four Twenty Nine and the Mark, the Mark Four uh, Lamar car. But I just wanted to clear that picture up, so at least people understand exactly how Carcraft was working. It's just part of Ford Motor Company. Okay, so um, the uh, t- so t- tell us a little bit about the Talladega then. Talladega. Okay, a little bit of history if you're familiar with it. Um, the uh, Ford won the 68 NASCAR championship run in 427 Torino, beating the Hemi Chryslers. So Dodge, they had the Challenger, and they, they came out with a special model, because the 68 Torino was a fastback, you know, it was pretty good aerodynamically. Mm-hmm. And so Dodge had a the Challenger, which Char- had Charger, aerodynamics. Charger, it was a Charger. And the, uh, the Charger, yeah, not the Challenger, that's a different... Charger, you're right, Charger. And so they came out with the uh, Charger 500, which moved the grill up front, I mean, to the front of the car, and they put a big plug in the back end to make it a semi-fastback, you know, because it was a notchback, which is generally bad for aerodynamics. So they put a plug in the back window to smooth that off, and they put a spoiler on it. And Ford, uh, that was called the Charger 500 for 69 NASCAR. And Ford found out about that, and they said, well, we're going to do better than that. So they put the, took the Torino, extended the nose five or six inches, moved the grill forward, and uh, 
put a spoiler on it, but there's one little trick. I don't know if you guys know about this. The drop floor? Huh? The drop floor? Well, it wasn't the floor. It was the rocker panels. Oh, okay. See, where NASCAR measured the right heights of the car, because you know, they had a minimum of, say, four inches right height before you could rake on the track. Uh-huh. So the, they measured at the bottom of the rocker panel, just in front of the front wheels, just in front of the rear wheels, and just in, behind the front wheels. So what we did, what they did, the Talladega did, is they rolled the rocker, or basically just raised the bottom of the rocker panel an inch. <laughs> okay. They put in special rocker panels. We shipped them to the assembly plants because the cars were built at the, the respective Mercury and Ford uh, assembly plants, and put these ro- these raised rockers in, which meant the cars could run a one inch lower right height than the competition, and that again helped them. So they again. Ford won in 69, won the championship again, which was the whole goal of the Boss 429 program and the Talladega program is because they were running against the Hemi, Hemi Chrysler cars. Mm-hmm. But then they won the championship in 69. But then the Talladega Chrysler did them one better. Dodge won one better. That's when they came out with the Charger. The actually Dodge, I'm sorry, the Dodge Daytona. Oh, okay. Extended front end on it. And the wing on the back, and you know the aerodynamic thing, and uh, that's when uh, <laughs> that was for 1970. And then Ford started to work out. Okay, we'll, we'll we'll up that one. They worked on the Ford King Cobra, which had a different whole front end on it. And uh, part of its development package, though, it needed a wing on the back. And that's when NASCAR says no. They stopped the whole. No more wings on any cars. You can, you know, they could, they were able to run. Chrysler ran one with a one a three hundred five engine that and that year, and they won a race. But the, that was the whole story behind the the Talladega and the King Cobra and the the Dodge Char, uh, Daytona and all that kind of thing. It it just got out of hand, and so they put a stop to it. So the the name Talladega was taken from the racetrack and applied to the car. Is that kind of how that worked yes. as well? Yes. Okay. Yes. But then, so the original development was on the Talladega was actually done. Was it a concept car, or was it really to go after? Uh, oh, no, it was a race car. Okay. Well, it, what, no, what they took the '69 Torino, mm-hmm. uh, Ford Torino, and they just uh, extended the nose six inches with sheet metal and moved the grill forward, and uh, put in the different bumpers. You know, they changed the bumpers to make them better, and. Uh, no, it was a race car from start to finish. So that's why they they raised the rolled the rockers, shall we say, or raised the bottom of the rockers to make it a okay a good NASCAR racer. But what 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 I'm going with this is was this something that was done? Was this Carcraft's idea, or was this something Ford came to you and said, "Hey, we got to come no, up"? No, no, with- no. See there again, Ford didn't come to us. We were part of Ford. Okay, okay, all right. So, so it was developed in house at Carcraft, but it was Ford. The Ford, the NASCAR guy, you know, guy says, "Hey, well, they're going to come out with something to to offset the Dodge Charger, Charger. 500." Says, "Well, what can we do? Well, we make the lower, you know, put the front, make the front end longer, which is better aerodynamically. Move the grill and the headlights and all that stuff up to the front of the car, and then they say, well, let's we need one of the I'm, I'm sure you know NASCAR or Pullman Moody says, well, let's let's raise the rocker panels, and so they did.'" That's no. It was built right from scratch at Carcraft to uh, the prototype to as a race car. All right. Now I have to ask you this. And the reason I say this is because I used to go to the twenty-four hour race at Daytona all the time, 
And in the mornings, we would split out and we'd go get some breakfast downtown. Well, there's this guy that had a little shop downtown. I think his name was Smokey Eunuch or something like that. And <laughs> yeah, Smokey uh, Eunuch. So, yeah. oh, old Smokey. That's not be- a restaurant. Though, <laughs> no, no, no. But we would we, we would bypass the restaurant and go to Smokey. Yeah. The story was, if his little white Ford Fiesta was sitting out front, then Smokey was there because the side door was open. So you just walked right in, and there he was. He talked to you, you know. And he got yeah. his pipe in his mouth. Now, when one year he was getting ready to do his auction, so he had all this stuff out there. My friend's a Chevy guy. I'm a diehard Ford guy. And uh, so he goes, and we're sitting there trying to figure out what this alleged mystery motor was, right, which was basically a 409 porcupine head, you know, with the late model head on it. And um, kind of an experiment. The, the GM? Yeah, the GM yeah. one, right. So then... Right. I said something. I was going, you know, basically Baja, Boohoo, Chevrolet, stuff like that. And then Smokey goes, why, are you a Ford guy? And I said, yeah. He says, you're a Ford guy? And I said, yeah. He says, come here, I'll show you something. So he takes me in this back room. And in this back room is all this weird-looking Ford stuff, these funky manifolds. And he shows me these yeah. heads. He says, you ever seen a set of these? And I go, no, but I know what they are. They're Boss 429, but they're steel and uh, cast iron heads and uh, or steel heads. And he goes, yeah. He says, I was experimenting with these. We were building these for marine engines. He says, the Chryslers and the Chevys would scatter trying to keep up with these things. So did Smokey, how did he get a hold of the Ford stuff? Is And so how does he fit in this whole program with you guys? I don't know. <laughs> Most, you know? <laughs> no, he I, had relationships, I don't know. but I don't know anything about I, But now, see, the, the iron heads were what the prototypes Boss 429s were built with anyway. They, the original engines, the experimental prototype engines, were built with cast iron heads. Yeah, and they had an XE casting on them. I remember that specifically. Yeah, XE yeah. means experimental engine. Yeah. Right. All uh, right. But, I'll yeah, tell you he, what. He had connections all over the place, but, the, you know, and he tried everything, and he was involved. And uh, he ended up with a, um, a Trans Am car, but he tried to run it as a the stock car, you know, on the... Uh, the sedan thing at Daytona and NASCAR and all that. You know, he got one of our Trans Am cars and so on. So we had connections, but I, it wasn't, you know, not my pay, pay grade, if you know what I'm <laughs> Okay. Mose, you were going to say something? Yeah, I just, uh, the, the store is fantastic, and, and the security at Brighton's Carcraft must have been super, super good because I was 25 miles away making engine for cars, and I had no idea what they were going into. All right, so let me ask you this. Since we were, last week we touched a little bit on uh, on the Trans Am racing, the motor that comes in and to, to mind, and why, because you brought up, you know, Chevrolet was beaten Ford in 67, 68, or 68 anyway. Ford had the Tunnel Port 302. What can you tell us about the Tunnel Port 302, and why was it such a failure? Well, uh, I really can't answer that because I I don't know what the failure was. I never did hear the failure of the 302. I don't know, Don. Did you catch any of that? No. The, the, I, I just that, I no. you know you know Robert. We had so many uh, projects that we worked hard on and worked a long time on, and they they just evaporated. And uh, yeah. the same thing happened in my eyes. The same thing happened with the Tunnelport 302. 
Okay. So it was a motor that they ran, but apparently it was, uh, I don't, you know, they came out with, it was replaced with the Boss 302, which was obviously a better motor. And then, of course, the Boss 302 in the production cars in in 69 had 221 valves, which they said was too big. And then in the 70, they went to 219, which is like a Cleveland, you know, on the the intake side. So is there, did you work on any of that? Did you experiment with any of that stuff with as far as, uh, you know, head flow, uh, valve sizes, uh, you know, porting or anything like that? No, uh, I, I don't recall that, Robert. You don't? I okay. I don't recall it. How about I did the... have I, uh, interesting thing. They talk about the mystery motor. Okay. Uh, I had an opportunity here uh, a couple years ago uh, visiting the Hall of Fame in Charlotte, and uh, it, was a, it was a closed tour. There was just I and uh, Kevin Kennedy from um, Campbell and Company. But they uh, they were anxious to show me uh, around um, the facilities, and the and the caretaker invited me to come in the back room where stuff wasn't displayed. And he says, "I want to show you an engine, and you tell me what it is if you can." So it was he led me up to what they called the mystery engine, uh-huh. and I could not recognize anything on that thing. No. Maybe I was dead in the water and didn't pick up on on the uh, the 429 components, but there was nothing there that I recognized. Well, so as to me, to me and to them, it was still a mystery motor. Well, the original, as the story goes, or folklore, the Chevrolet mystery motor. You know, in the early six, in late fifties, early sixties, they had the W head motor, which was basically like the 348 and 409. Well, smoking and those guys, you know, being pretty innovative and 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 creative, I should say, redesigned a cylinder head that was basically the porcupine style head, which was the big block Chevrolet, the rat motor head, and basically like the Ford 429, 460 head. Okay, and that motor, that cylinder head, they put on an on an old 409 in 62 and 63. They experimented with it. Well, that motor supposedly is the mystery motor that led to the big block Chevrolet, which they, you know, the Mark IV engine or whatever they call it nowadays. That's the mystery motor that was always written about. Now, Ford had one, I don't know, but uh, Ford obviously had, and I was going to ask you, Mose, did you work on any of the 427 motors, the 427 tunnel ports, the tunnel wedges, or the camera motors? Uh, yes, all all of those. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, all all of those, and and that was all taking place inside the Ford Experimental uh, um, uh, facility right here in Dearborn. Okay, so can you tell us the evolution of the 427 then? Because I think, is if I understand the sequence, started with a low riser. Well, it started out as a 390, then it, the 427, the low riser, the medium riser, the high rider, the tunnel wedge, the tunnel port, and the camera. Is that the right sequence, or is there? Am That's I miss- the right sequence, but you're missing one. After I'm- the 390 came the 406. Oh, the 406. That's right. Yeah, forgot about that yeah. one. Yeah. All right, so tell us a little bit about... So you worked on each one of those engines then? Yes, I uh, I was selected with one other fellow to do uh, the race engine experimental stuff, and uh, and I, I lived through... I lived through, I really became um, into it at the time that we were taking the 406 and taking it forward, and that's what uh, ended up as being... Uh, the infancy of the 427. 
Okay. And then the 427 went through uh, several modifications that were uh, racetrack proven, and that was uh, oh, the lubrication system and so on. And then we got into what we call the side oiler, and then the power knobs. <laughs> we call them power knobs. That was a, the main bearing crossbolt section. Power knobs, okay. <laughs> Never heard that one before. That's a good one. The power yeah. knobs, okay. Well, uh, you know, every other engineer that would come along and, and say, well, what are those? I mean, they'd be looking at an engine with a pan on it and all, and we'd just brush it off and say, oh, those were power knobs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the bolt's hanging out the side of the block. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. When they went through, is it true then it's that some of the early 427s or center oilers, and then for oiling purposes, you you ran the rail down the side, they cast it so that it became a side oiler. Is that how that story went? Yeah, what was happening uh, when you started really leaning on the engine for performance like uh, NASCAR did, naturally, uh, the center oiler, the conventional first 427, uh, just passed the, uh, the power knob not, uh, modification. Um, the valve train... Uh, was running low on lubrication. And uh, we discovered that the valve train only got what the crankshaft didn't use. And uh, in order to fix that, we put a, a main oiler down the side of the block with a pressure spring relief uh, valve that goes just behind the front cover. And then we ran uh, separate galleys up to the cam and uh, and lifter area so that uh, that particular set of components saw the same supply under the same pressure as the crankshaft and that was the evolution of the side order okay and then when you guys came out with the with the camera motor what brought that into, and which again was outlawed by NASCAR? Uh, although you know guys like Ed Pink ran the motor, and he was real successful with it. Uh, a couple other guys, um, Connie Kalita ran them in his yeah. uh, in his car. But so the, the 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 camera motor is a is that the same block with different oiling provisions, or is it a completely new block? It's it's the same block, and the oil uh, galleries were modified slightly. Okay. To take uh, the large aluminum head that had the feed twin cams in it and all. But that all come about from the, the big scare of uh, um, of, the, of the Chrysler's Hemi. Uh-huh. In the south, southeastern Michigan here and, and some unofficial drag racing taking place on Woodward Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> the home of the Woodward Cruise. Right. <laughs> well, Ford... Ford felt threatened by this uh, <laughs> this Hemi, and as the rumors floated around, the Hemi got stronger every week. <laughs> and okay. Ford thought they needed to do something, so <laughs> there was a, a directive come down to see what you could do to increase the horsepower without spending a lot of money. And that's when uh, Joe Eastman and... and uh, and Al Romanski was pulled together to do the engineering work, and then I did the coordination and the assembly of it. So how long did it take from its inception, let's say from a piece of paper, an idea, a concept, to get the actual cylinder head and a, uh, into production and, and, and a working motor? 
Well, uh, the car magazine said it happened all in nine months, but it was a little longer than that. I would I would say that it was about thirteen months when we uh, was able to ship our first one to dynamometer. Okay, and so did that motor ever actually run in a NASCAR, or was it outlawed before it even got into a NASCAR? It was outlawed before it got to NASCAR. Now, I don't know whether someone put it on the track or not. Uh, That wasn't talked about, or it didn't reach me. But I know that uh, NASCAR, in a sense, and and this is just my opinion, they they sort of led Ford along uh, with the the design and development of this uh, engine. Ford, Ford told them right away what they were making. And they said, well, you know, it, it's got to be homologated. It's got to be able to go in the, it's got to be show up in the uh, production car and vehicle and all of that. So we, uh, after Al and, and Joe Eastman and I uh, was just about finished with it. Uh, in fact, I never was finished with it because I was hustling different parts of the company for NASCAR to come and view and look at, uh, c- kind of present, uh, representing like it was in production. But oh, the, par- okay. the parts that they were looking at were, were rejected scrap parts, <laughs> all, all, set up, all set up along the, the assembly line. So <laughs> that, that visitation, yeah. the NASCAR officials went down pretty satisfied But for us, but I think, I think they were a little suspicious and didn't admit it. But uh, to them, it, it, it looked like it be- would become a very expensive engine. And, of course, at that time, they were very serious in, in keeping racing, uh, uh, you know, affordable. And uh, so they put the kibosh on it. Now, it's said that, 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 that a camera, a stock camera, out of the box was good for about 650 horsepower. Is that true? Uh, that's a little bit high. That's high. Yeah, uh, I'll go six oh five or six oh seven. But okay, that. well that's still quite a bit. By comparison, and I'm going to ask you this, uh, Don, when you guys were doing the Boss 429, because you said it was detuned for the streetcar, but let's say out of the box, your first motors that you had, the Boss 429, before you detuned them, they say those motors were good for about five six hundred horsepower out of the box. Is that true on the dyno? Well, I don't know because I was not an engine. I'm I'm the vehicle oh. side of the story. The, the well, one the ones we got, you know, for the Boss 429 were detuned, is what I meant. Okay. But the engine guys were doing were building race car race engines, and so obviously it had more power. But I don't know any of the details on that that part of it. Mose, did you well, ever work on the Boss 429? Who me? Yeah, you. Y- yes. All right, yes, so, we 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 had a separate little operation, uh, and and it was also connected with a car craft in, in an old car craft uh, facility on Haggerty Street here in Dearborn, where we were under the direction of uh, Dick Ronzi and 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 uh, Joe Makura in turning out uh, these these Boss 429. But uh, I'd like to regress a little bit in sure. the stories about horsepower. Um, we knew what horsepower we were getting because we, within the company, we had our own dynamometers and so on. But uh, 
Each one of those engines, even though they were asked not to tamper with them, underwent modifications by race teams that were very, very smart in how to eke out every ounce of horsepower. So, you know, some of the reports that hit the media was uh, <laughs> was from the race teams, and they were pretty proud of what they could do. So let me yeah. ask. So let me, here's a question everybody wants to know. For and. It's amazing how time flies. We're going to have to do part four, but I'm not sure when we're going to do that. We'll have to do it in a couple of weeks. But because this, I'm a gearhead. I'm an old street racer, too, by the way. Okay. So, you know, I've ran and tore up, blown up motors left and right, and I still have pieces laying around. But Well, I've got some tickets on Woodward myself. <laughs> I was just going to ask you were you guys hot rodders back in the day? Oh, yeah. That's how we got where we were. Okay. So, I, say, I, I built two custom Chevrolet. California Customs uh, uh-huh. after I got out of high school, and I raced four cars before I started to work at CarCraft. Well, no, where I'm going with this is when you worked at CarCraft and Moe's, when you were at Ford, did you guys just kind of like uh, get some really cool secret stuff and go out and, because you hear all the stories about, oh yeah, them Ford guys, them engineers, you know, they were out there street racing, playing around with that stuff. They take well, that stuff from the from their little uh, studios and stuff, they go out and play with it. Is there, how sure much? they did. Did they? Okay. <laughs> Not well, us, but I mean, the, it, sort it, of the Chrysler and Chevrolet guys. You know? Oh, not you guys, right? <laughs> okay. Remember, oh, yeah. remember that was a there was a grudge going on on Woodward Avenue. <laughs> All right, now I got to ask you this because I had Jack Roush on my show a long time ago, and he told me yeah. he was a street racer back in the oh, day. Yeah, he sure was. And so, did you guys kind of pal around with him and 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 some of the other guys? Uh, he was he was before us. They oh. they called their group the Fairlanes, I believe. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, okay, that's kind of cool. I, yeah. that... the, the first time I ever went to a racetrack was Detroit Dragway, uh-huh. and I was invited down there after I had spent some time with Connie Coletta and the Bounty Hunter, uh, uh, instructing them how to um, time the camshafts, because it was such a monster, you had to have decent tooling and so on that I would make trips out to Mount Clemens when he was getting ready to go to the track to help him time the cams. But uh, uh, I was introduced to drag racing just about at that time. So that's when he was running the camera motors in his cars? Yeah, early. right, okay. right. All right. right um, but as far as my personal car, the only, <laughs> the only, the only thing I did was uh, to put in a, a three-quarter race cam and a flathead but I, I was instigation instigator with some of my buddies. I, I didn't want to fool with my car and mess it up. But I, was <laughs> helping, I was helping some buddies with some snitch components <laughs> and put it in their car, let them try it out, let them break it in their car. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, and, and this is probably the last question before we have to hang up here, but because uh, time flies. It's amazing. But anyway, so were you guys, Moe's, when you were messing around with the engines on the dyno, were you trying to get all the possible horsepower out of these cars as possible? I mean, so in other words, were you trying to push these motors to their limits? Or were you just well, saying we had to get X number and that's all we had to do? Well, that, that basically when the program was laid out, Robert, uh, they had a, a horsepower goal, and uh, and yet we had to, you know, when it was done in house, uh, everybody was shaking in their shoes about warranty. 
And oh. anything we did, anything we did was, you know, had to be safe enough that we didn't run the company into the poorhouse with the war. <laughs> Okay. All right. Listen, on that note, I'm going to have to let you guys go. Again, I want to thank Don Eichstadt with uh, with uh, CarCraft and uh, Mose Nolan with, with Ford, um, you know, experimental engines or, or special engines or what was the department again called? Exper- Special engine. Special engine. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, but I want to thank both you guys for hanging out with us at Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We'll definitely we're going to have to do part part four. Yeah. One point, I w- after I left Carcraft, when they closed Carcraft, I went to work for Ford. Okay. So I spent 20 years at Ford after they closed Carcraft. Okay, well, good. We'll have to get into that, too, because I'm sure you have some stories there. But anyway, I want to thank both you guys for coming on our show this evening. Take care, guys, and okay, uh, we'll be in touch, and uh, we'll have to do this down the road again, all right? All right, fine. Thank Thanks. you. All right, thank you, guys. All right. Hey, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I think what I'm going to do the first six months of this year is I'm just going to have Ford people on. And then we'll throw in a couple Chevrolet Mopar guys down the road and Pontiac and whatever else is out there. Um, but I'm um, having too much fun doing this kind of stuff. Thanks for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't, for don't forget to tell your friends to tune in every Tuesday night here on the Tantalk Radio Network for the most fascinating legendary names in motorsports. Uh, don't forget the video truck shows coming up. Don't forget to uh, check out the uh, American Speed Festival coming up this fall or uh, and towards the end of the middle of the year. And Woodward Dream Cruise. Again, I want to thank all my listeners. And I want to see you guys at some of the car shows. Don't forget to check out FLA Car Shows. Uh, big shout-out to my friends over there at the Rib Shack Barbecue. And, Tommy, thanks for hanging out with us. And uh, did I leave out anything? Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, so get in your car and, you know, if you got a four-gear, hang some gears, go out there and smoke some tires, man. Have some fun at it. It's all That's what it's all about. If you got a sports car, get on a road racetrack. You know, if you got a drag car, let her eat, man. Hey, in the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.